Ladies and gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by today's panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, Rachel Clow. Hey! Tyler Monaghan. Hey, hey. And the insurmountable, undefeatable Cicero Holmes. I hear clicking sounds. Oh, damn. Star Trek and clicking sounds. Those don't go together very well. Oh, we actually, so, um, you know, we're back once again to discuss another new weekly adventure of the Enterprise, but a little peek behind the curtain. Um, this is the beginning of a slight marathon for us since we're actually going to be playing catch up since we haven't come at you in a while. So this episode that you're listening to right now will focus exclusively on episode four and the next episode, which if everything goes according to plan should be in your feed as we speak, will double up on episodes five and six. Um, but we got a few TNG callbacks, not just clicking sounds over over the next uh, couple of episodes here for us in terms of the conversation. Uh, but before we jump into it, let's check in with the panelists. How is everyone doing and how have you all been engaging with Trek besides the new episodes? Ty, let's actually start with you. I'm, I'm anxious to know if you've managed to add any additional TOS episodes to your crawl through that show. Debrief is going to be like my accountability group for making sure that I actually <laughs> keep watching TOS. Um, yeah, it's it's going. Uh, the, so the most recent one that I watched, maybe this was also the most recent one that I watched last time we recorded but was uh, where no man has gone before. So I met uh, Gary Mitchell, I think was yes. his name, right? Am I getting yeah. that right? And yeah, uh, yeah so I, I was very aware of that character because of Lower Decks. And so it was like, you sort of get this like signal that something is like important in the Trek universe when you recognize it from Lower Decks, right? Because like, you yeah. know, the people <laughs> who make Lower Decks are like super, yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. So it was like, oh, okay. Like, as soon as I realized it was that episode, like it was that guy, I was like, okay, this is like a, this is like an important one. I have a question actually about it. So like in some of the IMDb stuff, I was like, so was this like also a, like this was a second pilot of yes, yes, the original series? Like, how did that work? It's it's fascinating. Um, we've talked about it a little bit before, but the cage uh, was shot originally in 1964. Uh, with Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike and Leonard Nimoy as Spock and Major Barrett as, as number one, of course. But um, the first pilot by NBC executives was deemed too cerebral and they didn't exactly like the idea of a woman on the bridge in a leadership position. But they still liked the strength of concept that was present in the episode. So it's kind of an unprecedented occurrence. It might have been the first time. I don't know if that's the case for sure. But they went back to Gene Roddenberry and said, hey, here's another chance at a pilot. Um, they went back to Jeffrey Hunter, who was unavailable. So they cast William Shatner as a new character and uh, brought aboard some other additional supporting characters like uh, Scotty and astrophysicist Sulu. And they mm -hmm. went, uh, went ahead and shot where no man has gone before and got picked up. So in my viewing experience, there were like a couple of other episodes, though, in between the two, right? In between the cage. And then like a couple more episodes with Shatner and then where no man, like, 
Is that yes. not how they appeared on TV? Or no, it, it actually is how they appeared on okay. TV because you are watching in broadcast order, not production order. So where TOS has appeared on these streaming services, they've generally defaulted to broadcast order, which is kind of out of sequence. It doesn't really matter all that much because the episodes are self-contained, but it is kind of interesting to note that, uh, you know, there's, there's a, even though they don't really make much sense in TOS, uh, the star dates do tend to jump around a little bit, especially in that first season. Yeah. Wow. That's, you can tell, I know a lot about how TV production works, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I loved the Gary Mitchell. Episode. Like I, I thought, you know, it was, you really see, you know, these hints of like with the conversation with um, the, I think her name's like Denner. Um, <clears throat> and she's sort of like, making the case that like, no, he's the next evolution of humanity, right? She's kind of like fallen for him. Um, and it was just like, I don't know. You're sort of like, I don't know. Maybe she has like, I don't, maybe you guys are the bigots, you know, like maybe she's <laughs> actually got a point. Like he, he's obviously done some bad stuff, but like, uh, yeah, it just makes you think about uh, some of the things that for me, I thought about in, in what we'll talk about in our next episode of debrief and the next couple episodes of strange new worlds. But yeah, it all just, uh, it feels very like, I totally get it. I, I was expecting a lot more just like Kirk, like getting his shirt ripped and having fist fights with people and like kissing alien women. And I don't know, like maybe that's all to come, but so far, uh, yeah, I've been really enjoying it like more earnestly, uh, and kind of like, completely than i expected to you know so it's sure cool. yeah well it's a hell of a boulder if it killed godlike gary mitchell right i mean that's uh, <laughs> yikes um well that kind of brings up i am curious do you think your enjoyment of tos and i know that you're not like binging it but you are working through it do you think it might be being enhanced by the fact that strange new worlds is going on right now uh i mean yeah strange new worlds among other things like i'm always somebody who's like sort of enjoyed spoilers like i sort of i, I sort of like 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 watching things in the wrong order or or like knowing how something's gonna end before i see the ending which i know is like weird so so uh i really like having the opportunity to like i said like it's cool for me to be like okay i like sort of know like gary mitchell at the moment like he just seems like his eyes are weird and he's like, can force lift a cup of water. But like, I know it's like going somewhere, you know what I mean? Like, I know this is like a significant yeah. character. Um, and so for me, that makes it really enjoyable. Um, I will say I am nervous that I might become almost a little bit distracted by some of the stuff you guys have mentioned in the past, like Spock's relationship with Captain Pike in particular. Uh, I think I might start to wonder like yeah wow like why wasn't some of this stuff that i'm seeing in strange new worlds like seem to have affected uh you know why doesn't it seem to still affect spock when we get to see him in the original series and like just understanding i don't know maybe i will be a little jealous of his relationship with like i might i might be like the reverse of you guys where i'm <laughs> like i don't like seeing spock being this close with kirk because like i'm used to him being so tight with pike you know well um, what I will say about that, and I think that your ultimate determination in at least your own perspective will come after you watch the two-parter, the menagerie. Um, 
it seems more, at least to me, and take it with a grain of salt, of course, and I don't want to paint your perspective, but mine generally is that there's more of like a mentor-mentee thing between Spock and Pike, and Kirk, they seem more like equals. That's that's the way that I sort of see it. But I'll be interested to hear what you think when you get there uh, and when you absorb more of that relationship, because I assume that the movies will be next when you're done with, with the show. Um, yeah. And- it develops a lot there too. Right. So um, arguably in a more recognizable direction even, but great. No, I'm happy to hear that you're working through it. And yeah, where no man has gone before is a fun one. Uh, so keep on going, man. Have, have a good time. Uh, yeah, I envy you for watching it for the first time. I wish I could. Yeah, it's, fun. It. it's fun. It's uh, fun. Cicero, my friend, what have you been up to since the last time we got together? Uh, you know, I've been suburban dadding. Like uh, it's, it's a thing. Um, it's all the rage, kids. Uh, everybody's doing it. Um, uh, actually, I've been I've been consuming uh, lots of TV. Um, whether it be uh, it's all kind. It all seems kind of sci fi, right? Like uh, I've been watching for all mankind on uh, Apple Apple TV Plus, Apple Plus TV, Apple Apple TV something mega uh, <laughs> subscription service. Um, a a brilliant show so far. Brilliant, brilliant show. Um, they're, they're doing, they're doing lots of things right, including their app. Um, so, um, but I'm also watching, um, things on the Disney, uh, family of networks. Uh, so lots of great stuff that's happening there and, and, uh, and sci-fi in the form of Star Trek. Uh, but you know, just kind of consuming a current Trek. Uh, right now and uh in enjoying it enjoying it very very much actually yeah yeah definitely are you uh are you enjoying obi-wan uh yes yes uh i i i am i'm like i am trying to do my best to uh withhold my judgment of the episodes and take the story as a whole and and really kind of assess it as a whole uh there there were probably some things in this latest episode that i think um i, I you know i i would i would give it a couple of uh negative points on but uh otherwise otherwise pretty good uh oh the like other lawyer like answer there <laughs> yes <laughs> um the the other thing that I've been watching that is closer to the franchise uh, is I watched the premiere episode of the Orville New Horizons on Hulu. And um, so, you know, for those of you who don't know the the Orville, um, the the uh, Seth MacFarlane. Who haven't heard the good news about our friend Ed. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. He uh, they were managed to take the show off of Fox and bring it to Hulu um, and they've renamed it the Orville colon New Horizons. So it's it it is the third season, but it is not necessarily season three, but it is in continuity with the first two seasons. So there was, there's definitely some confusion when it comes to that. Uh, I think um, my my quick review of the first episode is that 
they they spent a little too much time doing the thing that lots of shows do, which is, oh, we've got uh, a new budget, so let's spend some of it with uh, gratuitous CGI and effects. Um, and and they're they're definitely guilty of doing it. Um, but in the end, they put together one hell of a TNG story, like one hell of a Star Trek story yet again. Um, it, if it, I personally, I think, um, uh, I think that, that, uh, Strange New Worlds is, is TOS for this generation. And I think the Orville is TNG for this generation. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, yeah. it's fun. Well, you know, I think um, maybe some Orville debriefs might be warranted, or at least a debrief on the other side of the season. Sure. Um, just because all of us at different points, including Zachy, I think, uh, have described an affinity for that show because of its very clear reverence for TNG. Right. Um, so yeah, it might be worth talking about an old swan song for Mr. Norm McDonald, of course. Yes. Yeah. And so the one, the one great thing, and you know, I, I wonder if they're going to do something. They did dedicate the first episode to the memory of Norm McDonald. Um, he was able to complete all of his VO for his character, Yafit, uh, for the season. So, uh, so they have everything that they needed from him, from the actor, uh, during the course of the, of the series, but I, hopefully they're able to do something with the character and, and, and give, give Norm, Norm's character a great send off. Yeah, most definitely. Great. Well, uh, well, you and I will talk over a potential debrief for the Orville New Horizons when the time yeah. comes. I think it's a worthy conversation to have. Well, Rachel, what have you been up to? Oh, you know. I mean, I know, but <laughs> just momming, momming, trying <laughs> yeah. Um, and I watched a little bit of T- TOS. You did. I was oh. shocked. Yeah. Shocked. Um, so I had the idea that I was going to watch, uh, the TOS episodes that are connected to the Strange New Worlds episodes that we've been watching. And so I got as far as watching the Gorn episode (laughs) after the Gorn episode Mm -hmm. of Strange New Worlds. Um, and, uh, then I didn't really watch any more after that, but I will, maybe, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I got busy, uh, but, um, but yes, I did watch the OG Gorn episode. You did. Um, what's it called again? Arena. Arena. Um, after the episode, the Strange New Worlds episode that we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Yeah. And did you enjoy it? I did. It, that episode holds up really well. Yeah. Um, even though it's a little silly with the, you know, the fight, the the homemade, gone or whatever but it's still that's a good episode of tv ty you will get to that one momentarily it is in season one that was my question okay great yeah so you're you're not too far away and really the uh still kind of the episode that drives the continuity for the gorn so far really the episode that we're about to talk about was the first major substantive addition to gorn canon 
in 60 years. So, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of amazing, but well, good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, it's a classic. I think it also uh, was somewhat enriched by the Strange New Worlds episode because you kind hmm. of, yeah, um, you see that they, you know, they're the Gorn like to lead them into traps, and in Arena they are, you know, apparently trying to lead the Enterprise into a trap, and you're like, ah, yeah, the Gorn, that's what they do. Yeah, so. it, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a good observation. I will bring that up later when we talk about some continuity stuff. Uh, in terms of me, I've just kind of been busy with. Uh, with work stuff, uh, when I, I I had to go to Southern California for a business trip, and on the plane ride, I decided to start reading uh, Vulcan's Glory, which is, I believe, a 1989 novel that was written by legendary Star Trek writer DC Fontana, Dorothy Fontana, um, and it deals with Captain Pike, and it deals with the relationship between Spock and T'Pring. It is not a canonical novel, but it, I'm curious to see if maybe any facets of it end up informing what they decided to do on the show. Because if you have DC Fontana herself, uh, laying out some of the ways in which the, this point in the Star Trek timeline works, seems like pretty good material to borrow from. So we'll see. I'm not very far into it yet, but it's pretty fun. Um, I'm certainly noticing some commonality in the characterization with T'Pring. Um, which okay. we will talk about in our next episode. Um, but with that, I think we're ready to move along uh, to discuss Star Trek Strange New World Season 1, Episode 4, Memento Mori. All right. Well, that sounded a little different than I thought it would. Um so uh, as people are likely familiar with by now, we're going to just kind of split the episode up into three general parts of discussion as informed by the uh, summaries, the very concise summaries excellently written by the fine editors over at the Wikipedia page for Star Trek Strange New Worlds with a couple of uh, edits by yours truly. Uh, so let's move along into part one. So the Enterprise crew attempt to deliver a nuclear-powered AP-350 air filter to a Federation colony, but when they arrive, they find many of the colonists dead. Security Chief La'an Noonien Singh helps evacuate the survivors and recognizes that this is a Gorn trap. She is the only survivor of a Gorn attack in her childhood. So before we actually move to uh, the direct attack on the enterprise. I guess, tell me just in general, what you guys feel about the utilization of the Gorn here. Cause it seems like they're being significantly built up as a fearsome force for the show to contend with here and perhaps in the future. So how do you think the show is doing with them? And Ty, I want to go to you first, just because uh, you're a little more fresh when it comes to, to the introduction of the Gorn. Are they, uh, established as a significant enough threat in terms of what you see in this episode. Oh yeah, definitely. I think like, you know, the question is there when Laan is talking about them at the beginning. And like, there's, I mean, for me, without knowing anything about the Gorn, there was sort of an assumption that like, okay, right. Like there were definitely hints of like Annika and her experience with the Borg and sort of like, 
you know, like this is traumatic, you know, it makes sense that you would have uh, complicated, complicated feelings about this and be really, you know, fear driven, right, in a way that would make you think, no, these people are this vicious, right? Like these, this is going to be bad. There's not going to be any way out of this. There's not going to be any negotiating or like winning this battle. But I mean, not to fast forward to the end of the episode, but like they definitely showed that to like her actual fears to be uh, from by all accounts of what we saw in the episode, pretty founded in reality. Um, So for me, like that's, I'm actually really excited to see the Gorn in TOS and see like, okay, like what are we working with here? Right. Like what, what were other people expecting? Um, Because to me, I'm, you know, I, I can fast forward to being straight ahead to skipping to the, the, the conflict between like uh, her and Pike at the end of the episode where they're like, she's like, no, like, I know the Federation wants to find the best in people, but there's like no best of the Gorn. Like they just want to like grow and harvest your, your babies for food, basically. You know what I mean? Like you can't yeah. negotiate with that. And I was like, oh, okay. Like. I mean, based on what we saw in this episode, that seems that it could be the case. So I'm really interested in that discussion going forward. I'm interested in like doing, you know, further research by watching TOS and seeing like, okay, you know, does, does she seem to be correct about this or is there a little more uh, to the story in a typically Star Trek kind of way? Right. I mean, like we have a history of like the, the bad guys that are so bad that, they're just like this unthinkable blank monolith of evil. And then we're in an alliance with them a few years and, and crazy events down the road. Um, so yeah, super like, I, I think they did a great job of building this up as like, eh, this is an enemy that really makes you question whether that is, is possible. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, it's an interesting idea that you bring up in just like a conceptual comparison with the Borg, because I think it's very apt. I mean, the Borg, especially when they were first introduced in TOS were just uh, rather quickly established as a force that cannot be bargained or reasoned with. And uh, you're certainly getting that impression about the Gorn here. Uh, I will just give you a, a slight forewarning that your research for watching the Gorn will begin and end when you finish Arena. Yeah, right. So, you know, at least you'll be all caught up, man. You got nothing to worry no, about. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, when I say I'm not looking for a job, yeah, no, that's yeah, right. I'll, I'll be in and out. Yeah. You know, do you guys remember Cicero and Rachel? I think that the Gorn were mentioned as having. I want to say like either a non-aggression pact or a detente with the Dominion. I feel like the really in DS9 there. is that was that mentioned in DS9? I feel like it was. Huh. I don't remember. Yeah, I'll I don't. To, I don't remember. I'll have to double check that. Um, but Can I also just ask about something you said a second ago? I think you said the Borg first appeared in TOS. Is that right? Oh no, I mean TNG. If I oh, said okay, TOS, okay. I misspoke. Yeah, sorry okay, about that. If, if you okay. were close listeners would hear me in the background going. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, like, it's, it's all Star Trek to me. Uh, uh, Cicero, your impressions of the Gorn as a threat being established at the beginning of this episode. Um. Well, so th- th- my first reaction to it was great, right? Like here is, here's a toy that was right. Like I think about the, the way I think about, uh, Strange New Worlds is as like 
all of the all of the canonical characters are people are are action figures on someone's shelf right and you just get to go in their room and you see them and you see the enterprise and you have some knowledge of the enterprise like you know the enterprise right because you you've watched TOS and and you've watched TNG and you know that stuff but the other things right like Dr. Mbanga and and Christopher Pike and number 1 and you know all of these other things are things that you've seen and you've heard stuff about but you don't really know so they're just on the shelf there's no instructions there's no real kind of like background that you have with that stuff and now you're able to actually just kind of play with them and create a thing, right? So I know the Gorn from that one time that Captain Kirk fought that Gorn in an arena and he couldn't figure out how to beat him. And then he, you know, he, 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 uh, scienced his way to a victory. Like that was cool. Um, but I don't really know any more about the Gorn. And now here we have someone that is part of our new crew that is saying, these guys are badass, right? They're a problem. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Cause it was a problem for Captain Kirk, that one Gorn. So, but like, so th- that was my first reaction. My second reaction is that like, they did such a great job in this episode of of making the Gorn um, not only a worthy adversary, but but uh, an entity and a species to fear. Um, it's unfortunate that our history going forward in the future, right? Uh, in the in the franchise's future, that the Gorn aren't a bigger foil. Um, or or any type of foil uh, for for our you know our favorites throughout the course of the franchise and its history. Yeah, no, I think that that's a totally understandable perspective, and uh, you know it is hard, at least for me at the moment, to sort of reconcile the Gorn being built up as much as they are with what we see in Arena, but that's more just because of. Like the the instance with the Gorn between Kirk and the the unnamed captain on Cestus Three was already significantly built up as like a major event. Captain Sisko looked up to that and and Captain Kirk's handling of it. So uh, maybe in the strange new world's lens, like it looks a little different than we're accustomed to, like in a, you know, 60 year old production aesthetic. But uh but no, I think you make a, a good point. Rachel, the Gorn as a threat. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I don't I think uh Cicero covered most of it. I they're scary, man. Like <laughs> <laughs> they scary, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I think uh I you know, I didn't remember Arena super well. That's part of why I rewatched it. Um so like I was on board with what Lon was saying. I was like, yeah, oh, geez, they're lizards that want to eat us. That's really scary. Yeah. Um. So, and, you know, I remembered what they look like from Arena. So I was like, yeah, they're big, scary lizards. And I, yeah, 
very afraid of them. And I think that the the buildup in the first half of the episode was great. Mm-hmm. Um, just all the dramatic tension, the the little girl being like always scary. Yeah. Um, that was terrifying. Yeah, so scary. <laughs> um, and then the reveal that they were lured into a trap. So the yeah. whole thing was scary. You know, okay. I mean, we've talked. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just gonna say it. No one asked me for this, but you mentioned Obi Wan earlier. If you're gonna have a kid that age in a show, this is the right amount. Like this is the right amount of a role for a kid that age to bite off. Like right. be, be right. creepy, make some clicking noises, and <laughs> I, I wish you well. But you know, die in the vacuum of space. Uh, <laughs> you can't well, you know, carry. Wow. You can't carry a whole six-part thing of a beloved, you know, franchise-long character. But anyway, the the clicking <laughs> noises, like we already mentioned, a couple of TNG influences. And what was the episode where there's that shared nightmare? On the, the oh, Enterprise Lord. D. That is a terrifying episode. Yeah. <laughs> Where they, they go in the holodeck and try to reconstruct. Yeah, the, like they're yeah. being abducted and like experimented yeah. on. Like, oh, they're, they're, they're describing like the table where they got. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And like, the clicking noise is like, coming. More like- right. Yeah, right. Coming right. from the shadows. There's weird. more of them, right? Uh, yeah. For but, some reason. The resolution to that episode is. It just happened. And, <laughs> yeah, like, oops. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, we were experimented on. <laughs> your arm was removed and put back, and it's just right. very, very slightly misaligned. But that happened. Uh, like, oh, yeah. uh, well, it still works. So, right. <laughs> Starfleet is great. <laughs> right. right. All good. Um, it, just the clicking noises made me think of that because they. Like that was a pretty big, the moment where I think it's Jordy that says I've been in this room before that just still sticks, sticks in my brain. Um, well, let's, let's jump back in time again, a hundred years back to strange new worlds. Um, let's talk a little bit about Laon because she gets a lot of focus in this episode and captain Pike defers to her judgment in a few areas, considering her prior experience with the Gorn. Um, what do you guys think of the way the show is sort of slowly peeling back the layers of her past and how it seems to be so intertwined with these important entities in franchise history, because she's got at least connections to the Gorn and to Khan, as far as we know. So how is she combining as a character, especially with this episode, Rachel? Uh, I really like what the writers decided to do with her. Like, I think she's a really interesting character. And I think that having her have the connection to the Gorn and to Khan, um, I, you know, I don't know if they like reverse engineered it from like this episode that they're like, oh, we have to have a character who was know something about the Gorn or if they like forward engineered it from like the character, but whatever they did, I think it worked really well. Um, so yeah, I, I really like that. I really like the, um, the sort of soft continuity that they have where, you know, you know that she was, um, like her family was killed by the Gorn and they drop that in an episode and then follow up on it later, but it's not like a full, you know, continuity story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I 
kudos to the writers. Barry. <laughs> All right. Uh, Cicero, what do you make of the way that Lon was used in this episode and how they're, they've built her up over the course of the first four so far? Well, I think one of the benefits of episodic storytelling is is the fact that you can you can compartmentalize your stories along with your like character development, right? So you can you can take the time to build out a character and build a a character arc for them and build a a history for them and uh develop that and divulge that to your audience over the course of a season without having to necessarily worry about continuity in the same way that uh a, a serialized show does right where you know how do how can i interweave these these exp- these pieces of character exposition into the story when the story doesn't necessarily call for it you can as as Rachel said right like the writers can just add it into there you know add it into the stories or uh you know i don't know if i don't know what the chicken or the egg portion was of leanne's leon's Back, backstory, whether or not they decided uh, that her family was uh, killed by the Gorn before they knew they were going to have a Gorn episode, or that they had a Gorn episode because her family was killed by the Gorn. But it it definitely does work, right? Like I I, I think that these guys uh, there is there is definitely something. I don't know if it's refreshing or or, or what it is, but there there is uh, a sense of liberation in the writer's room, or at least that's how it's reading over the course of these first four episodes of Strange New Worlds, um, that these stories feel familiar yet fresh, and that uh, I, even though there's no continuity, I feel like I know more about these characters and this crew than I've learned about any of the other crews or characters, you know, crews that we've seen in, in the new treks, right. Over the course of multiple seasons. So, um, it, 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 you know, testament to the writing. Yeah. What's the deal with that? You know, I I don't know because it's not like the other shows haven't had a runway to have more of a focus on, on other members of the bridge crew. This show really does seem like the only one that's like fulfilling the potential of showing us more about who these characters are, both with classic characters and with new characters. Uh, well, I, I, I think I think it has something to do with the fact that they don't have to um, beat you over the head constantly, or uh, or uh, have to defend the choice of why the stakes are this high and why we've got to race after this MacGuffin. Um, you know, like there's, there's a lot of legwork that has to be set when, when these guys start a season and say, this is the problem, right? They, they, they spend so much energy justifying 
the fact or, 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 or demonstrating the fact that this is the problem when you've got 50 minutes, right? Um, you can have a problem that takes you 30 minutes to solve, right? That not only takes you 30 minutes to solve, takes you 30 minutes to address and solve, right? So you can, you know, so the problem doesn't have to be that big and you can spend the other 20 minutes talking about the crew or involving the crew or, or learning about them and, and doing all of those other things um, that make these types of shows enjoyable. So uh, and if, yeah. if I'm reading you correctly, then it very much could be that it is not traditional serialized storytelling because when you're just telling one story over the course of like 10 or 10 or 12 episodes, you're likely going to be focused on the same characters Whereas if you're telling 10 different stories over the course of a season, you're naturally going to want to change the pieces that you're playing with. Is that kind of what? Yeah, 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 I, yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I hadn't really considered that. Um, Ty, how, what do you make of, uh, of Lon's development, especially in this episode, but also just in this, in the show up to, up to this point? Yeah. Look, I mean, like the, the, the crew is always, uh, a high point of, of basically every Star Trek, right? Uh, and I feel really, you know, that way about Strange New Worlds really strongly. Um, and La'an just continues this trend of characters that I'm just so, like, you're just craving to get more time with them and to learn more about them and learn what's driving them. Um, and you you get it, you know? You feel almost spoiled by the amount that you get from these characters uh and it's it's awesome so i love like you know you talked about the connections her connections to the you know with her name um and her connections to the gorn and things like that and i I think that's all really cool i don't have a lot to add to what cicero and, and rachel said it does feel to me like they have a story that they want to tell it's all interconnected it has these layers but they have a pretty good grip on you know, the order in which they want to peel back those layers and, and where it's all headed and things like that. And uh, I don't know if that's necessarily like some big season finale that involves the Gorn. I mean, it seems probably to me, but um, you know, like, but it feels like I'm in good hands. Like it doesn't feel like I'm uh, just waiting for like, okay, is the resolution of this big five light year wide phenomenon going to really be worth, you know, 11 or 12 episodes of my time or, or whatever it was. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like that's hanging over my head. And instead I just feel like this is awesome, right? Like I get to learn about La'an and, and, and the other thing, in addition to her connections, which, yeah, like I am just excited to learn about going forward. Another thing that I love about this character that they've done with, uh, a number of characters on strange new worlds already is like kind of make you as the viewer ask this question of like, Oh, is this person really like what we expect from Starfleet, right? Like, not like, is she qualified or like competent enough? Right. But like, she has a different perspective, right? Like she is, she's definitely the wharf of the bridge. That's like, <clears throat> you know, first responses are just like mistrust, you know, ray shields kind of thing. Um, and, and the thing I love is like that this show does such a good job, you know, and Uhura has had like her moments of sort of like, I'm not really sure I want to be here and, and things like that. And the show does such a good job of showing you that those things are actually strengths, uh, it, you know, especially in the hands of a good leader like Captain Pike, who understands that and can can bring those strengths out and kind of like wield them 
as assets instead of trying to shut that part of the person down and treat them as liabilities. And so I just think it's been awesome to see like these people who sort of like have uh, maybe an attitude or an orientation or a backstory that's a little different than what I'm, you know, used to expecting from like a Starfleet bridge crew, like especially the enterprise bridge crew. Um, and to see that embraced, especially by Pike um, and really end up saving the day is just like a, such a beautiful Star Trekky thing to me. Yeah. Excellent. Very well said. Well, let's move along uh, with the plot. So a Gorn ship attacks doing significant damage to the enterprise with Dr. Mabinga and Nurse Chapel resorting to 21st century medicine to treat the wounded, including number one, when their equipment goes offline. They lure the Gorn ship into the atmosphere of a brown dwarf near a black hole, where both ships' sensors and shields are useless, beginning some submarine-like combat. Right? It's very Hunt for Red October in this episode, or Balance of Terror, depending on uh, on, on where you stand. Um so I have to say, I, I loved the dynamic that this brought to the table because it very much feels inspired by a personal highlight of TNG, season five, uh, Disaster, where a major accident cripples the Enterprise D and cuts off members of the crew from each other, creating these quasi-odd couples of characters like Riker oh, yeah. and Data, Geordi and Dr. Crusher, and Picard and Children. Right? Right. Yes, on, on Picard Day. Yeah, on Captain Picard Day. Picard That's Day. right. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, I'm just curious about what you guys made of, of disaster redux um, because – or is it redo? Is that French? I think it's just redux. Okay. I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know. I've I've, I've, thank you for asking that. I've been wondering that for years. Yeah, I, I don't really – I just only really read that. I don't hear people say it. So that's – does that disaster redux or redux? I don't know. Um <laughs> But what do you guys make of, of how the, the crew has kind of been split? A lot of the bridge crew are still on the bridge. Um, but this is one of the instances, uh, for example, where uh, Cadet Uhura's rotation comes into play, where she spends time in engineering with Chief Hemmer. Uh, so, Rachel, how did you like this split of the dynamic between the crews? Well, I think it, the splits were Hemmer and Uhura, yes. Yeah. And then who else was... Split? The doctors were kind the of on their own, and number one doctors. was kind of in there in sick bay and, too. Yeah, and she was in sick bay, and, and then, then the most of everyone else was on the bridge. Okay, right? yeah. Um, I kept thinking that the like the thing that Hammer and Uhura were working on that they were going to use it as a weapon, and I was like, shoot it at the Gorn <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> um which they didn't do i still think they should have um but i i really like their dynamic i like to spend more time with hammer that was cool um i think everything that happened in sickbay was really nice um and sutures right sutures barbaric yeah and I really liked the dynamic between Lon and Pike and how he was kind of telling her how to lead, like, you know, maybe not be all doom and gloom <laughs> and freak everybody out. Um, yeah, I just, uh, this whole thing was, I don't, I, like, I don't know what else to say. Cause I'm like, it was great. I liked it. Like, I don't know. That's Sometimes fine. when things are good, you have less to talk about. Th- <laughs> let me put it another way. Do you think that these uh, splits in the crew 
were optimal. Would you like to see some other combinations of characters explored that maybe were not a part of this? Um, I would like to see all of the combinations. Okay. Let's just Fair enough. Yeah. put them in a random. Don't stop there. until all of the combinations have been made. Yeah. Because yeah. sure. I think it's all. Inter- I love all of the characters. They're all so interesting and fun. And, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cicero, what did you make of this uh, this scenario for for the episode? Kind of as the undercurrent for everything. Uh, yeah, I mean it it worked right. Like, it, I mean, it was we had a threat that was credible, right? Um, we had a situation that was dire, uh, and we had characters that were that are immensely charismatic that make you care about the scenarios uh, that they're in and that the, you know, that the peril that they're, that they're uh, experiencing is, is urgent and uh, needs your attention. Uh, And, and um, they, you know, they are hitting, like Rachel said, it's, it's good, right? I liked it. Um, And it is hard to, it's hard to criticize something when they're doing things right. Right. Like it's, you know, you got to actually find the things to critique um, or at least to criticize. You don't have to find the things to critique because there are plenty of things to critique here, but they're all positive critiques, right? Like um, they made the Gorn feel like a credible threat. Um, the, the use of the little girl was perfectly chilling, right? And, and they got rid of the actor quickly so that we didn't have to worry about saving this little newt or little Leia or, you know, whatever, whatever name you want to give her at this point. Sorry, kid actor. You did good. You did good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you, you did the job that that check will clear. We've been very um, like pro her getting blown into space. <laughs> right. uh, um, yeah. But, but like they, they did it. They did the thing. Um, it also made me, as you were talking about all of the other, uh, all of the, the other episodes that this episodes and, and, TV shows and movies that this was reminiscent of. It also reminded me of Wrath of Khan. You know, there's, uh, there's definitely a couple of scenes in Wrath of Khan where you see, uh, what, what was the ship that, uh, Khan had the reliant, the reliant, right? Yeah. He had commandeered and they were, they were having some space naval battles uh, that were fire very, very and blind. Good. That was yes. a, it's definitely a theme that carries over. But like, yeah, that's absolutely a comparison, and I think balance of terror too, because there's that going on between Kirk yes. and the the Romulan commander. The first time right. that we had seen, seen the, the Federation had seen Romulans since the war that established right. the neutral zone. Um, so. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Just in terms of, uh, the peril that is just the uncertainty that comes from that kind of a battle. I was really, really engaged by the actual conflict between the enterprise and the, and the Gorn ships, uh, and the idea of getting creative, you know, is something that Pike says, and, uh, it's exactly what you want to see the crew do. And, 
he does a good job of facilitating that. Uh, a friend of mine critiqued that Pike was deferential to Laon, and I honestly didn't understand that critique because I thought that it was it made sense. And he still took the lead in terms of what it took to be a leader for the crew. Um, but they needed information that she had. I mean, not that she was not forthcoming with it, but still, like, it makes sense to listen to experts and to uh, to take all of the information. And Pike, as a good leader, understands that. So, uh, so it was totally fine with me. Um. Well, let's move along a little bit with the plot. Uh, so Spock is able to track the Gorn, the first Gorn ship that's pursuing the Enterprise and then destroy it. But three more arrive. One ends up being crushed by the pressure of the Brown Dwarf's atmosphere. Uh, Spock mind melds with La'an to learn about the Gorn's communication system. And they use this to trick one ship to fire on the other. What I kind of wanted to bring up about this scene more, though, because uh, the, the summary kind of glosses over it, but Spock and La'an uh, go into a shuttlecraft to accomplish this. And um, the mind meld informs La'an more specifically about Michael Burnham and about Discovery. Um, so this is really the first major instance where we see the reverberations of the season two finale. I mean, the first episode deals with part of it too, but specifically when it comes to Spock's relationship with Michael and uh, cluing in characters outside of, of Captain Pike himself and number one to the fact that Michael is a person who existed. Um, as our two resident panelists who are caught up with Discovery, what did you guys think of Laon's discovery of Michael and how the loss of her still really appears to be greatly affecting Spock? Ty, you want to start with that? Yeah, I, I like all of this. I mean, I, I like this this whole sequence of like mind melding to learn about the Gorn and then immediately getting to put that information into action to like blow up some Gorn ships was just like you know, we were just like my wife and I were watching together like three or four times in a row. We're just like, oh, are they, they're going to do this. Yeah, they're doing, yeah, they're doing it. You know, and it's just like, like we've talked about so many times. It's like, you know, just that episodic nature gives you so many treats like that, where you just feel like the, I keep using the word spoiled, right? Like you just feel like, you're like, oh, okay, we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to like finish this thread up like in this and before the next commercial break, you know? And it's, it's just so satisfying instead of like, eh, is it going to be this season or is this going to, is this going to go into another season? Uh, anyway, though, I, I am really interested in like, I'm really curious to see how much they keep bringing up the events of discovery. Uh, I kind of hope, in some ways, I think it'd be cool if they, it's sort of ever present, but never really a particularly big deal. Uh, and I think you could see it being used as like this device to build cohesiveness among this crew, right? Because this crew is made up of a few key people who were there uh, and a bunch of people who weren't, right? Uh, and so I think you could gradually see that level of trust, like kind of, like I think eventually everyone on this crew is going to have a decent idea of what happened like the events of the discovery season two basically um maybe not but like i think that could be a thing that they play with and sort of uh you know that information kind of spreads and like that trust grows and like you know kind of like 
like a family, they learn to share and, and trust one another with that information. Um, or it could be totally this, this bigger thing. That's a crux of the season, or they could just totally drop it and never really mention it again. But like, like I've mentioned earlier, it does feel like to me, they, they like know what they're doing. Like sometimes you're watching shows and it feels like they're just throwing stuff out there and they're like almost going to wait and see how it goes. And like, maybe they'll pick up that thread later and maybe they won't. And that's not the sense I have at all from the show. Like it feels like they're being very thoughtful about how things are going to connect um, and how much they want to keep calling back to that versus forging ahead and doing their own thing. And I think just because of the nature of the show of what they're doing, like if there's one thing they have a good sense of where to strike that balance, it's that right. Like how much to keep calling back to its own in-universe stuff and how much to like just forge ahead and tell new stories. Um, so, so like, I don't know, but I trust that they're going to handle it well. Like everything I've seen so far leads me to believe like, yeah, they, they've got this, like they know what they're doing and whatever kind of route they take. Uh, I've, I think I'll probably end up being on a future episode saying, well done. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cicero, the long arm of Michael Burnham. Uh, oh, hi Daisy. Uh, what did you, uh, what did you make of, of that moment and what it says about the things that Spock is still carrying? Uh, well, I, I, I think that it's, it's great for those of us who understand what that relationship meant and means to him. And, uh, the fact that the writers, didn't pretend like it, it didn't happen. Right. So that, that he is right. Like we, we, you know, that both Pike and Spock are dealing with the pain of the things that they discovered about themselves while on discovery, while, you know, dealing with the discovery and her crew. Um, and, and, you know, and that pays dividends for, you know, for us that are fans of discovery, but also is not something that is an impediment to, uh, to fans of strange new worlds who really don't have any knowledge of discovery, which is, you know, like, I feel like this is a show that I can recommend to the, not my Trek people. If there are some, you know, not my Trekkers in my circle, um, I can say, all right, well, look, you can watch Strange New Worlds. It is your trek, right? If if Strange New Worlds ain't your trek, right? I'm Joe Biden now. You ain't black, right? Like, you, you know, <laughs> if, 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 you know, Strange New Worlds ain't your trek, you ain't, you know, you ain't, that ain't Star Trek. You, you ain't Star Trek. Just out of curiosity, do you think right. you have not my trek people in your circle? Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely do um, feel like. I've got, oh man, you know, like, I don't know if they would say that Star Trek has gotten too woke, but it, they don't resonate with the way Star, what current Star Trek is, right? And how it's constructed. Um, and, in some ways I, I can blame them, but in, in, in other ways I, you know, I can't like, I can understand why there's that reticence to kind of play in the sandbox of, of new, of new Trek. Sure. I loved what Wilson Cruz said about the world yeah, that was great. recently, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
basically like, yeah. well, if you're not woke, then would you rather be asleep? Be asleep. Right. So, right. Yeah, it, was yeah. a, it was a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. Rachel, not, I mean, feel free to chime in on the discovery connections if you want to, but I'm also just curious about what you thought of the mind meld because we did see, uh, we saw Laon's horrifying childhood memories play out again oh in real gosh. time from the perspective of Spock uh, so that they could get the information that they wanted. What did you make of that scene? But also too, like Spock is still dealing with Michael's loss. What do you, how does all that coalesce? Feel like I'm not very I'm just like oh I liked it <laughs> it was good <laughs> um but yeah I liked it <laughs> uh it, yeah I think that was um a good plot device to get us to have a flashback in a way that was interesting and then also connected Lon and Spock and the fact that they both lost a sibling and reminded you that discovery existed so that was nice um and uh yeah i just the stuff with her and her brother was really sad and um again pretty scary that yeah. they're being hunted and stuff seems so. like that gorn ship is very moist that's what i got from it yeah, like yeah. moist and Blizzards. warm right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, creepy uh yeah well um so really things kind of come to a head at that point and the enterprise ends up warping around the black hole, temporarily disappearing from view, kind of calling, uh, the Picard maneuver, uh, re recalling the Picard maneuver a little bit, um, and ejects the destabilizing AP 350, which explodes and convinces the remaining Gorn ship that the enterprise itself has been destroyed. They disengage and the Enterprise lives to fight another day. Um, so, just in general, I thought this episode was phenomenal because it showed to me that this single episode format is doing sometimes in single episodes what other shows can take entire seasons to do. Like, this is very easily something that could have served as the impetus for a season of another show uh, just drip fed to us, but you know, it keeps things kinetic. The character journey and discoveries are really fast in terms of how they come across, but not too fast that it's difficult to absorb all the necessary information and the character dynamics kind of to service to what you said, Cicero, in terms of the strengths of the single episode format, like it was all on display here. I was very uh, taken with how strongly this episode not only communicates the threat of the Gorn, updates them in necessary ways while also uh, giving them an appropriate amount of menace, but just the individual journeys that the characters themselves go on, I found very rewarding and gratifying. So I loved this one. Uh, just final thoughts on the episode from you folks. Uh, Cicero. Um, so my final thought is uh, spoilers for the Orville's first episode. Oh man, you and the, the Orville. <laughs> the resolutions are identical. Yeah. So um, you know, like, so if you want to know if the Orville is trekky enough, they're using the exact same 
uh, tropes. Exact same thing. Um, so, uh, look, Strange New Worlds is great. Um, to to for me, and I know you know, like I I, I know this is um, heretical to say, but I am enjoying. I am getting more enjoyment out of Strange New Worlds than I than I have out of TOS. Um, How dare you? No, that's right. Now, now, uh, again, I will say that, you know, there hasn't been a city at at the edge of tomorrow yet um, for Strange New Worlds. Oh, you mean City on the Edge of Forever. City on the Edge of Forever, right, yeah. Um, For for Strange New Worlds. But, But, like, at the same time, I, you know, I, I, I think, I think that I, again, you know, like it's woke police going, going, running amok, but like, I see reality on the screen when I watch Strange New Worlds, right? Like in in terms of the representation of the people that are around, like they look and feel real. They look and feel contemporary, which is important, right? Uh, and the fact is that I can see this and see multiple people that look like me that, that, you know, and then, and then multiple people that look like other people that I know. Right. And, and that's cool. And they're all superly, you know, super, uh, like competent and complicated and, and, you know, we're getting to, and and the stories that they're telling are 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 great and and powerful and resonate with me in in ways that TOS just couldn't right like outside of nostalgia just can't because it's of its time and this is of this time so uh, I I I I this is this has been. Uh, Strange New Worlds has been my favorite Star Trek show of the new, of you know, of all of the new Star Trek shows. I am enjoying it the most. Excellent, great, very well said, Rachel. Final thoughts on episode number four. Well, I just want to mention how much I loved how Captain Pike, when everyone was safe, and you found out that uh, like Hammer and Uhura were okay, and how obvious he was, and he was like, in <gasps> his relief, and how much I loved that character moment for him, and how much I love like the kind of like man he is being portrayed as, as like he is like a like drop dead sexy man <laughs> who's like a strong like leader who like really really cares about people and isn't afraid to like show how much he cares about people and like for me i like that was just so refreshing and so nice and like something that you know like i would really want like um my children to see as a as an example of like this is the kind of person you should should be around who like isn't afraid to like show how much that they um they care and that that isn't like good and important and part of being a good leader is like really truly caring about the people that you lead 
Yeah. Um, so I just, I really love that. And I just wanted to shout it out. Yeah. yeah. In the moment, I think you even said like redefining masculinity, right? I don't know if I said those words. That sounds too smart for something I would have said. I, in the as you were talking, I literally wrote down the words non-toxic masculinity because yeah. I wanted yeah. to respond to what you were saying. That's that's what I thought of when I was hearing you. Like that, yeah, just like such a model of like you can be this, right? Like he's not like not to make it like this thing that's all about gender for some reason, because I don't think that was your point, but like, he's, I mean, it's not that he's like feminine or something like that. Right. But he's not this macho, like flexing, like aggressive alpha, right? Like he demonstrates his strength by caring for and valuing and empathizing with the people around him. And it's, it's awesome. Like, I'm so glad you brought that up, Rachel. Cause I was just going to talk about like stars and shit, but like, that, <laughs> you know, is, is more I like important, you know, um, and kind of what I'm really more excited to see. Like I, I would continue watching the show without what I described to Cicero in our text messages about this episode is interstellar porn. Uh, the fact that this episode made me pull out my phone and Google what is the temperature of a brown dwarf star. I was like, oh man, I love that I'm like doing this while I'm watching Star Trek, right? It's so awesome. But like, even if it didn't have that, even if it didn't have like incredible visuals, I just have to say, like in this, this, I mean, that black hole, like, it was just mind blowing. Like, I rewound it a couple times just to watch it. I was like, this is just so cool looking, right? But, I would continue watching the show without that stuff as long as it had like this crew, right. And this captain leading it. Um, whereas I, I probably wouldn't be that interested if it was the other way around and if it was awesome space stuff, but like without this emotional core, you know, uh, and moral core that the show is just so like flying that flag so tall. Right. And so unapologetic about, um, and I love it. Yeah, the show rocks. Yeah, excellent. Very well said. Well, um, that pretty much does it for uh, for episode four of Discovery. No, man, hold on. It doesn't do it for episode four. You, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about this show? Oh, I, I love it. I mean, if we're going to talk just about general feelings about the show, uh, I mean, look, I... I just started these conversations about strange new worlds very deliberately by saying that, yeah, I'm afraid of how much I already love this show. Um, I haven't seen anything to challenge those perspectives. I mean, this is, but I'm, I feel like I'm reacting to it probably stronger than a lot of people do because it feels to me like I'm enjoying this show more than I've enjoyed a lot of shows recently. Uh, there's some, I, I think everything that you said, Cicero is, is absolutely true in terms of my own perspectives. Just not only is this the most potent and, uh, and I guess descendant Star Trek show compared to the other new ones, which all have their strengths and weaknesses, but, uh, this is just a great update for the classic concept. You know, you talked about the representation, which is a critical component of this show's identity. Uh, and it's just a part of it, you know, like it's, it, it's not trying to, 
to to necessarily amplify or praise itself because it's it is so re- uh, representative of so many different kinds of people that's the reality and that's what the ideal is you know we're we're seeing uh humanity that has grown out of its infancy by this point and are are united in common cause and it's what we all want you know we want to be united in common cause and agree what facts are and, and, <laughs> and just work together to accomplish a, a larger goal and that's what we're seeing here and i love it i love how it's embracing really truly and probably more truthfully than any other star trek show uh by just the nature of the time that it's being created in it's embracing itic and there are recent indications that it's even going to be embracing it even more in the episodes to come uh so that is a big component of what i do love about this show but also just the storytelling is so potent and this episode is a key example of that um, it's kind of nerve wracking in the moment to watch this episode for the first time, just because it does such a good job of putting you on the edge of your seat. So on top of all of the other quote unquote trappings, and I don't mean to, to knock it by saying trappings, just the, what comes with Star Trek storytelling, um, on top of that, it's just really good, suspenseful character driven television, um, that goes in an entirely different direction in the very next episode, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you for asking, but yes, I, I do love it. Um, before we actually do conclude though, uh, let's talk about some, some other components of the, the, the universe here, just briefly. It's pedantic continuity time. So only a few continuity notes here. Um, although, and this is from the fine editors at Memory Alpha. Although Spock claimed to have never used the mind meld on humans prior to the events of Dagger of the Mind in TOS, which uh, was season one, episode nine. In this episode, he's shown doing just that with Laan, Nooney, and Singh. Um, episode nine of TOS the, is when the Enterprise visits a rehabilitation facility for the criminally insane where the chief doctor has been using a device which destroys the human mind and Spock has to engage into a mind meld to kind of figure that stuff out. I don't think this is that egregious of a continuity violation. Um, He forgot. He either forgot (laughs) or maybe Lon became a member of section 31 and he couldn't talk about it. There's so many different things that could have happened. I could easily see her joining section 31, honestly. So, you know, It'd be kind of kind of fun to see. Um, maybe when the Section Thirty One show does come around, we'll get to see Giorgio <sighs> and Ash Tyler and Laon Nooney and Singh all together. That would be kind of awesome. That but, would be uh, kind of awesome. Uh, second note: During the mind meld, Laon learned that Spock had a sister, Michael Burnham, which confused her since Spock's personnel files made no mention of a sister, referencing the fact that all information about the USS Discovery, its crew, and the events leading up to and during the battle near Jahea had been classified by Starfleet. So we already talked about that. One thing that I I know it's not in this episode, but since you guys went to Celebration Chicago, those um, those memory pins in a future episode were discussed. There was one for discovery. Uh, was Spock wearing that? I can't remember. 
I've got uh so in the Strange New Worlds Pavilion, there are a there were a bunch of pins in like one of the cases. Yes. And I took a picture of it, but I I've got to look at it now to see if yeah if and, there was a discovery one and that's on fine you know i don't think that there's there's a lot to to say there i just thought that that was kind of an interesting detail my own little addition to pedantic continuity time is my own little deviation it is quite possible that in arena the classic first season episode of tos that introduced the gorn the enterprise may have been on the verge of following into a similar trap if it weren't for the timely intervention of the metrons who faced Captain Kirk off against the unnamed Gorn captain on the surface of Cestus three. Thought that was kind of interesting just in terms of, uh, of the setup for arena, but that's kind of a deviation. Um, and, and I don't even know if that's necessarily the case, but I think it could be interpreted that way, which I thought was fun. Uh, Oh, I don't know if you can see that Chris USS discovery that says USS discovery. And this one says the the Shenjo. So far, oh, yeah. yes. Cicero is holding up that the aforementioned photo that he took the pins of from the pins. And Chicago. And so yeah. there are pins for the both the Discovery and the Shenjo. That's cool. Yes. Well, I'll have to see if there's like production stills of what each character is wearing when it comes to those pins. But kind of a cool detail. However, um. We're done for this one. That's going to do it (laughs) for episode number 79 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you were to review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute. And let us know you wrote one. And we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief. You can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time, which could be right now, as we discuss the next adventure of the Starship Enterprise. It's still so cool to say that. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 